0: Starfleet Escape Podcast Prepare for launch in 3 2 1 Enjoy the ride
1: Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 86 and is being recorded on January 4th, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Discovery, Short Treks.
0: I'm Eric Dewey. And I'm Aaron Gallo. This episode is sponsored by Lover designs, and illustrations stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order.
1: Oh man, Aaron, it's been a while since we've sat down and uh, talked Trek. How have you been?
0: Not too bad. Trekking along,
1: as <laughs> it were. Hey, yeah, you did some traveling, haven't you?
0: Oh yeah, yeah I did. <laughs> actual uh, treks. Uh, maybe not yes. through the stars, but you know, actual treks still. <laughs> mm-hmm. Visited Asia, which was... Interesting. Different.
1: I've uh, never left the country myself, so I, I have no idea what it's like out there in
0: that big world we've got. Yeah, it's, it's culture shock, to be <laughs> sure. But most of the places we went to, people spoke English, which was good. Um, we were around more touristy areas, and mm-hmm. we did have tour guides, so that helped.
1: Oh. Yeah, I would have to do that if I were going to travel, because I... I feel like I would want to learn the language and do that whole like immersive thing, but then like at the same time I'm thinking, am I really going to sit down with my very, very limited free time as it is, and try mm-hmm. to learn a language for a weekend trip or even a week trip, you know? If I was going to study abroad or if I was going to be like temporarily living in another country, I would, you know, want to learn the language before doing so. But for just a vacation yeah I think I'm gonna stick to to tourist traps and uh have a guide or a translator or something i mean technology nowadays as long as you have your phone you've got a translator right there so yeah you know, provided you have data service internationally
0: right <laughs> yeah yeah and that's definitely helpful having data when you're
1: Overseas
0: I don't know it do you have Sprint?
1: I do not I used to oh. uh, but we had we had issues with them in the past so I'm currently am with 18. I see
0: with uh, Sprint they have international data included. The only issue is it's like 2G speed oh wow. so it's really slow and crawling so if you're going to use it, try to connect to a Wi-Fi hotspot somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's usually good advice internationally anyway, because even if it's included, you know, you're getting the the, the people who are paying locally are going to get the, the bandwidth first. It's kind of like how my service, I have technically unlimited data. However, I only have guaranteed 4G speeds up to the first 22 gigabytes of data per month. And then I have 4G speeds if Nobody else who's not on over their data cap happens to be needing the bandwidth right then basically they they what they say is they reserve the right to throttle your speed during heavy network times after you're over your certain amount so basically they're making the bandwidth available for people who are still under their cap or are paying per gig or whatever right I haven't run into an issue, and honestly over you know like i said it it starts throttling us at twenty two gigs. The account I'm on, we have seven phone lines on the account. We oh, routinely well. hit 100 to 120 to 150 gigs. Mm-hmm. So, and, and like I said, I'm not really noticing major slowdowns. I know I use a ton of data because I listen to TV shows at work and we don't have Wi-Fi okay. there. So I'm on data on either Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime or CBS All Access. I just uh, watch through the entirety of NCIS and NCIS New Orleans, actually, mm-hmm. which I will say... I think New Orleans, well, it's already lasted longer than Enterprise did. <laughs> but, yeah. and I and here's my theory, okay? Enterprise mm-hmm. didn't let Bacula sing almost every episode. Quantum mm. Leap, they let him sing almost every episode. The show went on, what, six years? Six or seven years? NCIS, interesting New Orleans, <laughs> they're letting him sing and play piano on a regular basis. And guess what? They're on season five right now. So, or season six, I, I don't remember. But, like, it's going strong. I'm like, bottom line, if you got Bacula on your show, let him sing. Just let the man sing. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Uh, to sidetrack slightly, um, I was just reading <laughs> an article about the medical insignia in Star Trek, and I guess in an episode of, I believe, NCIS on an ambulance, they use the Starfleet medical insignia. Oh, I
1: have to go back and take a look at that. They've made some some jokes here and there. Um, occasionally, uh, one of the characters on NCIS uh, New Orleans has the Star Trek TOS theme as his ringtone on his cell phone, and that's played into into the uh, into things sometimes because he's, he's you know he's meant to be the, kind of this nerdy geeky guy or whatever, mm-hmm. but really good at his job, of course, because otherwise why'd he be a main character on the show? But yeah, so they've they've done little tie-ins here and there. I believe they had. I believe one of the characters on NCIS original can speak Klingon, and that had come into play in an episode at some point. So they do have their little tie-ins here and there. It's kind of fun. Yeah, you know, when when companies own different properties and they're able to kind of pull from things every now and then it's kind of uh, amusing. I, I I dig it. I'll have to go back and find that episode cuz I don't recall actually seeing that. But like I said, when I'm watching stuff at work, I'm not really watching it so much as I'm right. listening to it while I'm typing my stuff on the screen. So I don't see all the little visual stuff. I'm mostly listening to
0: Yeah, I'll have to find the article again. It's on... I'll I'll find the article and link you to at least the image. I'm not sure if it lists the episode that's in.
1: That's cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out because that sounds pretty awesome. So why don't we get down to business here as we normally do. We've got uh, the news segment, although our news segment is uh, a little light this time around because there's only one... Big piece of news that we really care about right now. (laughs) And that's season two of Discovery starts streaming on the 17th of this month. It's happening. It's soon. We are so, so close to new trek again, new full-length trek again, I should say. <laughs> right. Being that we are talking about the short treks that we just got. Oh, I'm I'm so pumped for this season. We'll talk about it a little bit more later. Some of the things I've seen in the trailers, just little bits here and there. It's really got me excited for this season. so I am super pumped mm-hmm. to be seeing new trek every week and uh, hopefully uh, talking about new trek, at least most weeks. I know you've got another trip planned up, another trek coming up, so I don't know if we'll end up yep. doing maybe me and Eric Berry will do an episode or maybe uh, we'll wait for you to come back and do a double or something. You know, we'll figure it out. I I can't wait to sit down and talk Trek with you guys and new Trek at that. It's going to be amazing.
0: Yeah, it'll be great. And one thing I didn't realize uh, until recently, they're going to be streaming on Thursdays, which we know last year was on Sundays. Right. And I was wondering if they did this because the Orville is on Thursdays.
1: You know, it's possible. Traditionally, Thursday is a good TV night. Sunday is traditionally a bad TV night. So it's like starting them on Sundays. was kind of almost like, a, we're not really sure. But when it's a streaming service, it's like, yeah, that's when it dropped. But you can watch it literally whenever. After. So yeah. it's it, it kind of takes away from the whole like, oh, when does it come out? Well, it's more like, okay, when does it start becoming available? And I can literally mm-hmm. watch it any time after that. I don't have to worry about... Oh, I have to be in front of my TV at this time helps me because, you know, I might come out while I'm at work. And again, I'm not, since I don't get to watch stuff at work, I'm not going to watch a new episode of Discovery for the first time while I'm at work. I'll right. rewatch. You know, when I'm watching it for the first time, I want to sit down in front of either at least my computer or tablet screen at the very least. I won't even watch it on my phone the first time. I want it to be at least a mm-hmm. laptop or tablet size, but preferably my TV if I can <laughs> for that first right. time after that I'll watch him on my phone or you know wherever you know when I'm rewatching but that mm-hmm. first time
0: especially, yeah especially since it's supposed to be like cinematic yeah that's one thing that they're they saying about
1: it. this season which I I really felt that the first season was was quite cinematic in the in the way it was presented so yeah. The fact that they are explicitly stating that season two is going to be more cinematic. I can't wait to see that on big screen. I'm really looking forward to that.
0: Me too. And I don't know if, have you heard anything about After Trek? I have
1: not. I have not heard any news other than I believe there was a brief blurb somewhere about them reconfiguring it. About the, about changing the way it was done. I don't know if that means that they're not going to do it. You know, Maybe they're ditching the live aspect of it, which mm-hmm. honestly wouldn't bother me me too much because I never really got to watch it live and when I did try it always ended up, you know, locking and buffering, and you know, too many people. looking. I never really got got to experience the live experience of it. It doesn't bother me if that's the the aspect they're changing. With you know, I know some people are are you know really liked that live aspect. Evidently, they've got better internet connections than I do because I <laughs> never I, I could always watch it after the fact, no problem. But trying to watch it live was just uh, an exercise in frustration usually for me. So I hope they come back with something. I like it. I, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed the backstage, you know, you know the, the behind the scenes look that we right. got to have. As we talked about, you know, when, uh, when we were talking about last season, I didn't like that they tried to kind of frame it as a fan show while mm-hmm. also being, you know, completely owned and operated by the company. making, you know. So obviously, they're not going to ever say anything. They're not going to criticize anything ever. Mm-hmm. But, at the same time, you don't get those behind-the-scenes looks from fan shows. Right. So it's kind of right. a trade-off. It's like, yeah, I want this. But I would like honest, constructive criticism as well, which is, you know, that's where we come in and we fill in that gap. You know, when we see something, we're going to tell you what we like, but we're also going to tell you if there's something that we don't like. mm mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. And hopefully the uh, the show grows from it. And I'm hoping that they listened to people. Oh, Hopefully they listened to the right people. Because yeah, there <laughs> were still a lot of people really, really stuck on the look of Discovery. I've noticed that over this the yeah, the yeah. space between the seasons, people were still very much stuck on, oh, it didn't look like TOS. Well, do you? Because movie making and filmmaking has come much farther along than that. We don't have to have it look like that anymore. We can make it look nice and it doesn't have to make it non-canon just because it doesn't look like it was made in the sixties. It's right. okay to suspend your disbelief a little bit to allow for the progression of filmmaking technology. I think that is okay. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but some people are really just still really, really stuck on that. That that bugs me when it's like, okay, you're you're missing out. You're ignoring great storyline, you're ignoring great acting. Mm -hmm. you're you're ignoring these amazing special effects and graphics that we're seeing just to moan that it doesn't look like a show that was in the 60s. I mean, come on. You're you're looking at the wrong things here. You know, going back and rewatching the season a few times, as I did over the past few months, there are definitely things that I can pick out and be like, oh, you know what, they could have, maybe they could have done this better or maybe they could have, you know, maybe they gave a little bit too much away over here. Maybe, you know, their big surprise, you know. Everybody kind of guessed their big twist, you know, for the most part. The, mm-hmm. the the two big twists that they had character-wise in season one. Right. Everybody on the internet was pretty much guessing that already. However, I will say that if you were watching it for the first time, binging... You might not make those connections until you actually saw the the space of a week to sit there and process the episode and then get online and talk to other people and process their thoughts on the episode. I think that's what created that. Oh, my gosh, we know what's happening now mentality. I don't think if you have that time to sit and jump on the Internet and talk to other people that you're going to necessarily make all those connections just from one episode to the next. Right. If you're binging it and it's the first time you're watching it, I think you're going to be much more surprised by these twists than we were when we had the opportunity to to think about them between episodes.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with your analysis there. And, uh, you know, haters are going to hate. People <laughs> like to complain. Yeah.
1: You know, if they want to miss out on a great show because of something small like that, then – that's on them you know i i've gotten past the stage where i try to force anybody to watch anything you know right. i'll i'll recommend stuff to people and if they say oh no that's not my thing i'm not going to be like no no you have to watch no it's like okay it's not your thing i'm i'm telling you from my personal experience that i thought it was good and i think you might like it that's all if you choose not to to watch it i no skin off my back you know it's not right. going to stop me from watching it i'm not going to not watch it or not enjoy it because you don't enjoy it you know so That's just my my new mentality on the subject. I used to be one of those people like, no, 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 you have to. I I have to convince you to watch this thing because I liked it and I think you'll like it. So you have to watch it and I'm going to harangue you until you either tell me to shut the heck up or watch the damn thing. (laughs) Right. And I've kind of kind of gotten past that. It's more like, hey, have you checked this out? No. Oh, I think you should. "Eh, I don't know if I want to. Okay. well, whatever. that's the (laughs) way the conversation goes nowadays
0: yeah it comes with your advanced age
1: that is true i am an old old man (laughs) i'll be even older in two months
0: Yep. all right so why don't we go into my favorite segment of the show would you buy it so mr dewey would you buy this item?
1: Well, I think this item is pretty neat. I would not buy it, not for the price that it is. Um, mm-hmm. It's not something that I would personally get enough use out of. Right. I'm not saying that it's a bad item or that I think that other people shouldn't buy it. I'm It's not one of those situations where I'm like anybody who buys this is dumb no it's just in this case, it's just a thing that I wouldn't get enough use out of right. to make it worth the price. Mm-hmm. but it is pretty cool. It's nice to look at. so I would say I would not buy it, but I would not laugh at somebody who
0: did. I see. I would not buy this either, and we're talking about the Star Trek Captain's Tea Set from ThinkGeek, which is retailing for $60. It's officially licensed Star Trek merchandise, a ThinkGeek slash GameStop exclusive teapot, features the United Federation of Planets logo, the cups, creamer, and sugar bowl all feature the Starfleet Command logo, and these saucers read USS Enterprise NCC one seven zero one D and it's made out of ceramic. Yeah, these look now, like they're
1: pretty nice. Uh, However I don't yeah. I can't recall at any point, especially in TNG specifically, uh-huh. where they used anything that looked like that. No, so. that's
0: yeah, that's my biggest issue with this set is that it doesn't look look like it would come from the show. And like that little flap on the saucer just irks me.
1: I think it's meant to be like a handle to hold because most saucers are round with a raised lip because the way you're supposed to properly, quote unquote, drink tea is that you... You lift the cup in one hand and the saucer in the other and you keep the saucer with the cup just in mm-hmm. case, you, you know, to prevent any spillage or dribblage or whatever. And since these are like a flat saucer, so they've got that end turned up for you to hold. Like that's the part that you would actually grab with like your, your, so you would grab that little upturned flappy part with your thumb and forefinger of your left hand, if you're right-handed, and then the cup with your right hand by the handle, pinky up, of course, because you're drinking tea, you've got to be fancy. And that's how, so that's why I, th- I don't like the way it looks, but I'm thinking that's why it looked the way it looks.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a reason for it. And someone was like, oh, you know what will look cool. And then they went with it. And I kind of wish they didn't. I, I kind of wish it was more of a traditional look. Because I, I feel like that's probably what it would look like on the Enterprise. Something more traditional. Yeah. Like we saw with uh, Sulu's tea cup in uh, Star Trek VI. It mm-hmm. looked pretty pretty traditional with just the addition of you know some starfleet insignia there
1: yeah when you're able to essentially replicate anything you want why wouldn't you make your teacups look like the fanciest most regal teacups that that you can think of you know they don't have to be embellished uh, with gold and all that but they can look like a traditional teacup whereas this is more of a mug shape that's the size of a teacup which but like i said my biggest issue with this is the fact that they went ahead and stamped uh you know enterprise ncc 1701-d on the saucer when this is not something we ever saw on tng like if they if they had left Mm -hmm. that out i actually would be more inclined to buy it i still probably wouldn't but i would be more inclined to buy it without that because then it would be more like like I have a Star Trek Discovery mug at work. Yep. It's just mm-hmm. a plain white mug with the Discovery version of the... Delta shield on both sides of the mug. It's not anything that was on the show, but it doesn't claim to be anything from the show either. It's just mm-hmm. a mug with the Starfleet logo on it. And I like it and I use it for my coffee every day. <laughs> so it gets right. plenty of use. It's very well loved. And I, but it doesn't pretend to be something it's not, you know, it's not something that they're trying to say, Hey, look, uh, this is what they drink out of on the show. No, it's not. It's just a mug with the logo on it. But that's okay, because that's all it's purporting to be, is a mug with the logo on it. Right. I think if they'd have stopped there with this, it would be a better set. The fact that they they locked it down to one series, and that series is one in which they did not use anything that looked like this. I think they've kind of cut themselves off.
0: they, They also didn't use that Starfleet Command logo in TNG.
1: Oh yeah, that is the newer the newer logo with the sort of partial swoosh, kind of the Nike swoosh around the Delta shield kind of thing going on. Right. Um, and I forget. Did so, TNG have the uh, Federation logo that still had the two faces on it, or no that that hadn't that had gone away? Yeah. I yeah. couldn't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. So I guess the verdict is neither of us would buy it, but if you're a hardcore Trek fan and tea drinker, maybe this.
0: Yeah. Um, drink your Earl Grey in that.
1: I wouldn't mind having a set of mugs like Picard got out of the replicator on TNG.
0: Yeah, those are pretty cool. The, the that simple, uh, clear simple, glass, glass kind of, with the black handle.
1: Yeah, almost like a almost like a beaker style. Mug with the black handle around it, and I have seen those mugs available for sale mm-hmm. for absolutely ridiculous prices. And mm. they're not officially licensed; they're just somebody managed to make a mug that looks like that. But and but they're selling for like thirty bucks for just a glass uh, mug. And I'm like, no. <laughs> as much as I would love to drink some tea out of a mug that looked like that, I'm not spending thirty bucks on a single mug to do
0: it. <laughs> right. No, I I agree with. You. uh So why don't we move into the meat and potatoes of the episode? All right, talking some new Trek. In this case, the short Treks,
1: the little kind of teasers they they put out there, little bits, little breadcrumbs to lead us from season one to season two, uh, to get people in and get people watching CBS again in preparation <laughs> for for the for the next scene, I think. But you know what? Yeah. I like it. I'd rather have this than just okay, we're gonna give you a few previews for season two and that's it them actually going and making these episodes i mean granted each one is only about 20 minutes long so we're only talking about a little over an hour's worth of content total across the four episodes but Mm -hmm. it's still more than we would have gotten from from any other show we've never gotten anything in between seasons from any other series so it's it's something new. It's something interesting. Mm-hmm. They were well made, well put together. You know, I know we have some differing opinions on the the content of some of the episodes, which we'll get into. But overall, I think the idea behind doing the short tracks was a good one, and I like it. What do you what do you think?
0: I I've grown to like them. Initially, I was turned off by them. They didn't seem to have much substance to them. I thought, or at least with the the first episode that was released, I, I didn't care for um, at all. <laughs> but as they, I they got better. Each one, I thought was better than the last.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. When I when I first watched that first one, and, and why don't we go ahead and, since we're talking about them, go ahead and uh, start talking about them. The first episode, the one that was released most uh, earliest, most earliest, that's a way to say things. I just ended. Um, <laughs> <Of course. laughs> that episode was released back on October 4th of last year, and it was called Runaway. First of all, I didn't know what to expect from the short tracks going into it. I hadn't watched any of the tra- right. trailers. I hadn't watched any of the backstory behind what they were. So I just went in with my own expectation of what it was going to be and when oh. they said oh it's a short trek it's a small episode in between the seasons and there's only going to be four of them between season one and season two so i'm like okay i ex- i went into it expecting 40 minutes to an hour of content like i, I thought it was going to be a full episode of mm. sorts and so when right. i like pull it up and the runtime's like 16 something minutes i was like what How are they going to tell me a story in that amount of time? They can't do it. It's not possible. Well, I I think they proved me wrong. I see that first episode, uh, Runaway. To me, like I said, I was a little disappointed the first time, but I think that's because I went in with different expectations than I should have had I Uh been paying attention. (laughs) Had I been paying attention at all, I would have known a little bit more what to expect and I probably would not have been as disappointed. But upon rewatching it and watching through the story, I felt that it, it essentially felt to me like a stripped down version of a single episode of one of the more episodic series, like like TOS, where you just had the, the one thing happening with the small subplot going on in the background and that's it. But they stripped away all of the excess, unnecessary stuff and just told the story in a condensed amount. And I kind of liked it. Yeah, maybe okay. they could have added a little bit more here and there, you know, and obviously there could be stuff that happened after or before that we could have seen. And there are some questions left unanswered as far as the plot goes. Hopefully these are all I'm hoping that all, everything that we've seen in the short track is going to tie in. At least in some small way to I season hope so, two. As well. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of that. Maybe a little bit more of these characters that we've been introduced to in the mm-hmm. short track. But yeah, so overall, I ended up liking it more every time I watched it. And I think okay. it's one of those things where I picked up a little bit more because they really did pack a lot into that short amount of space. I mean, like the, the first time I watched it through, I didn't really get how much of a bitch Tilly's mom is. <laughs> but upon <laughs> rewatching it, I'm like, gosh. <laughs> I just want to slap Tilly's mom. She's like, "Don't go into the don't 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 go into the captain's program or the the command program cuz you're just going to fail and then you're going to be sad about it." What? Be supportive of your daughter. What the hell? Right. So what if she fails? So you know what? Encourage her to do it and if she does fail, then be there for her when when it happens if that's what happens don't tell her she's gonna fail in in the first place not to do it i mean i was like what the crap yeah um but i didn't really catch that the first time i was just it was just kind of like i was waiting for something more to happen so i wasn't really paying that close attention to what was happening right there
0: right yeah i agree with you um definitely not supportive not a supportive parent (laughs) not someone i would want my Mother, and I liked that they didn't actually show uh the mother's face mainly because that leaves it open to cast a you know a another actress yeah uh in the future how what'd you think about Poe?
1: I thought it was a very interesting character, and again, this was upon further rewatching, you know the first time I watched it, she came off as just kind of a snotty brat right from the mm-hmm. get go, but I think that was kind of her. Defense mechanism, you know, as as teenagers can tend to be because she was essentially a teenager. And then we find out later that she's, you know, got some other responsibilities going on that she's kind of running from. So it's at first I was just like, ah, this, you know, we've got a we've got a Wesley of a different uh, species over here with all the I can do this and this and I'm going to save the day. But then it was more of as I rewatched, I was like, no, this is just a, a teenager who's had a ton of responsibility thrust on her that she's not really interested in that type of responsibility Mm -hmm. she wants to do this other stuff that she's doing and that's that's what she did and that's what made you know everybody's going crazy over this piece of technology that she's built that she just did uh, essentially for fun but now everybody wants it and she's afraid that it's going to tear her her planet apart you know people trying to get at this technology that she made so she's got this weighing on her, and then she's got her responsibilities weighing on her completely incompatible with all of that. And so I get it, you know, I look at it and I say, okay, now I understand why she was, she would be in a bit of a brat. At the beginning, But I really think, I mean, she ran into the right person, that's for sure. I mean, if she had run into anybody other than Tilly on, on Discovery, I don't think it would have gone down like it went down. You know, she would have ended up either, you know, escaping off the ship to somewhere else and, and fleeing her responsibility that way, or she would have ended up caught and thrown in the brig or something. I think that she definitely ran into the right character in Tilly and, you know, kind of got that whole... Uh, situation. And that's where we kind of get that that B-plot with Tilly and her mom. While she's trying to convince Poe to do what she needs to do, she realizes that she's got to do what she needs to do, regardless of whether she has her mom's approval for it or not. She needs to to do what's going to make her happy. If that means possibly failing, then so be it. So you have that kind of going on and you know, kind of. I felt it enriched the Tilly character a little bit, who I love already, so I dug that. The Poe character was was okay. Um, I would be okay with not seeing too much of her again. Like I wouldn't uh-huh. want her to be a major player in season two or anything like that. But I wouldn't mind seeing her again in the mm-hmm. in the series. You know if they have yeah. to obviously she's from a planet that's just achieved warp, so there's a kind of a first contact situation going on there, so maybe we'd see some of that in the background you know, that might be something that's that's part of uh, the storyline or just a, a a subplot somewhere along the way. I'd be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the recrystallization of the lithium is going to be very important. I I remember in Relics, actually no, before then, Scotty in the Voyage Home recrystallizes some dilithium using radiation that they stole from the nuclear vessel USS Enterprise. (laughs) In Alameda.
1: Um, Oh, I think it's across the bay. In Alameda.
0: But, yeah, so... So it's possible that he was
1: using... Technology that's only known because of Poe. Maybe he was right. using technology that was made available to the Federation from this planet. Maybe another tie-in there that wasn't as obvious. To, like I didn't catch that one right off the top of my head, so good catch there. And maybe that's another tie-in that they're bringing into the the canon world for those people who are freaking out about canon.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's cool. We have some backstory on some tech that the Federation gets. Maybe Poe's people join the Federation, and that's how we get the technology. and And it goes on from there. Now, one major issue I have with the story is the use of the transporter, when I'm pretty sure they were nowhere near the planet.
1: Yeah, they never really showed for sure. I mean, obviously they were... Near her planet to begin with, because that's where they transported the, you know, she had snuck on into some stuff that had been transported onto the ship. Mm -hmm. But they, I don't recall whether or not they showed them actually leaving the planet. And then Tilly does have that line where she says, you're a long way from home. Did she mean just a long way from home as in you're now orbiting your planet? Or did she mean you're a long way from home as in like, hey, you're beamed onto a starship that then warped away from your planet? I have to assume that they were still in orbit. And that's why she was able to transport her back to back home and that she meant you're a long way from home just in the sense of your species just achieved warp and you're a teenager. So the chances that you were involved in the warp program are probably small, which means you're probably one of the first people, you know, the first dozen or so people from your planet who's ever been orbiting your planet. So it would be far from home. I mean, if I were to suddenly be orbiting the planet right now. It would be pretty far from home on a cosmic scale when you're talking in the terms of the technology they have available to them and you tell somebody they're very far from home, you tend to jump to the conclusion that they have gone to warp and are very far away from them and without them having to go back for some reason, which wasn't explained. So, yeah, there could have been just something to clarify that they hadn't left the planet yet that they were still in the process maybe just show them still transporting more stuff on like that was load one here now we're during the course of this conversation we've gotten three more loads and we're still you know finishing up and now she got to transport her back home before they took off that's what i think happened but again they didn't specify that that is something that you kind of have to read into yourself if you want to if you want to know that so they did leave that kind of open and again i think that's part of the the timing. You've know, you got this short amount of time to tell your story. You might trim things. Maybe there was a line of explanation somewhere in there that got trimmed in the editing process at some point. Mm -hmm. You never know. But I feel you. I I understand where you're going with that.
0: Yeah. And um, something else I've noticed other people also mentioned, did Tilly delete the transporter logs (laughs) or... Or what?
1: Well, they they don't show her actively deleting it. They don't show her say like, oh, and now I'm going to delete the transporter log. You have to assume that either she did or it was something that the transporter logs probably aren't looked at. Unless there's a reason to. It's kind of like uh, you know, most security cameras. Mm-hmm. Most security cameras are just set on record and there's nobody actively watching the all the time, you know, except for, you know, obviously really high security things like casinos and things like that. But your average ordinary surveillance camera is just running all the time and never looked at unless something happens and they need to. So if there were to be some sort of question later on as to, hey, was this person on the ship? You know, what happened? Or if it been a transport accident right then or something, you know, if she never ended up, at, if she never made it back to her planet, if they, mm-hmm. you know if she ended up in the mirror universe or something all, all of a sudden, then they would have gone back and looked at the log. So I think it's more of a situation of just, she trusted that there would be no reason to look at the logs, so she mm-hmm. probably didn't worry about them. But again, not not something stated in the episode, just kind of my reading of the situation.
0: Right. It'll be interesting if, if they come across the log sometime during uh, season two and like, hey, why were your command codes used to make this transport? I think that'll be a cool connection.
1: Hey, why do you have that random piece of dilithium?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Where'd you get that from? Uh... It's a long story. Um, you see this uh, space rabbit escaped. It's hormonal. Oh, yeah, that's pooped. the thing. I mean, it who, out, who uh... would really buy that? I don't think any of them did. And I think that was kind of the point, actually, because they were all they were looking on their faces like, you know what? We don't believe you. But we also really don't want to get involved in whatever this is. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we're just going to turn around and slowly walk away. It kind of had that feeling like they were all just kind of like, okay, I don't know what's happening here. I know it's not that, what you just said, but I also don't really want to (laughs) know. So we're just going to leave. Because, yeah, that room looked like a frat party had gone through and had a food
0: fight or something. Right. So yeah, I think that pretty much sums up our first short trek.
1: Yeah, that brings us to the second one, Calypso, which was released on November 8th of last year. Um, this one I found to be very interesting myself. I, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this one from a different level. It's a definitely a different, completely different beast than Runaway. This mm-hmm. one, while still taking place in the Discovery timeline universe uh, canon, whatever, I doubt very much... We're going to see anything from this in Season 2 because it's set so far in the future of uh, essentially uh, this is actually the latest episode of Trek ever on film because of how far out into into the future. Yeah. It's the furthest out into history that any Trek has ever gone. Um, It's, it's, it's interesting because basically what it is, it's a retelling of the story of Calypso from Homer's Odyssey, which was, I felt a very interesting, a very Trek thing to do to take this old story and recycle it into the new technology and into this whole new universe that they've got going for them. And I think it also sets things up for possible additional storylines later on, whether it be in the television shows or whether it be in comics or books or, you know, whatever format they might choose to write something. I'd very much like to find out how they got from where we are to where they were in that episode. Right. But that's really the kind of the sub story of the episode. The main part of the the main storyline is of this soldier who essentially is uh, washed up on the shore of the Discovery. In this case, he, he was in an escape pod that was failing. It was He was about to die and Discovery pulls him in, nurses him back to health. And then you find out that it's not the crew of the Discovery doing this, it's Discovery, herself. She has been adrift for a thousand years, crewless, and has evolved herself into essentially a sentient being. And Mm -hmm. so she kind of keeps him there because she wants the company. She wants him to love her. She is desperate for this connection. And so she cuts off his possible means of, of leaving. You know, there's a, there's a warp-capable shuttle there, but she says, it won't work. It's been dormant for a thousand years. We didn't even get a chance to test it. It was brand new, you know, whatever. You, you, you won't make it in that. And I can't take you because I was ordered to stay here. And even though my logic tells me that the person who gave that order is long dead, I'm still... Yeah, enough of a computer that I have to follow that order. I can't I can't break that order. I have to stay put. But she does kind of cut off avenues, but then when she realizes how much he's missing home, now in in Odyssey it's the gods who tell Calypso, no, you have to let him leave because he misses his wife and you have to leave and that's eventually why she lets him go. In this version of Calypso, she realizes it on her own. She realizes that he's never going to be truly happy with her. Because he already has a family. He already has someone that he needs to get back to. So she helps him and and lets him go on his way. And I thought that was... Just a, a, an amazing way to retell that story, and I really loved the acting in this. Um, the actor, mm-hmm. I can't think of the, his name off the top of my head, but I've seen him in some other things, and he's always been great. And considering that besides him and holographic representations of Fred Astaire and the, the holographic representation of Zora, there's no other characters in this in this piece. He's really the only one that we see in Flesh and Blood. So it's a very interesting way to tell it. And I thought this was the perfect use of the short track format, because if it had been any longer, it would have started to drag. I thought it was just the right amount of, of length. We got to see the passage of time. We saw that he was there for at least several months, but without us having to experience... That several months ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, we we saw him learn to play chess. We saw him, you know, eating various different foods and exploring the 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 foods that were available from the replicators. You know, we saw him watching these movies with her and stuff like this. So we know that time has passed. We're not told exactly how much time has passed. And other than you know the thousand years, we only know that it's been a thousand years since the crew abandoned ship and left the Discovery adrift. What we don't know is at what point in the timeline that happened. You know, was this Ten years after TOS? Was this twenty year you know, we don't know when this actually happened. So we don't really know right. exactly the date. It's never stated exactly when this so it's possible that, you know, maybe discovery was was taken you know, this could have been already set in the future, and then somebody had taken Discovery out for, you know, maybe it had been salvaged from a junkyard or something, and who knows, but obviously it seemed like it was in pretty good shape, and it was getting regular deliveries of new shuttles, so that doesn't, doesn't really track, but again, we're not told explicitly when this is, other than that it's about a thousand years out.
0: Right, I liked this episode. My only issue is it didn't feel like a Star Trek episode but it felt like a really good sci-fi episode, if that makes sense. I, I liked the episode. It just didn't feel Star Trek to me.
1: And see, so that that's where I could disagree with you just a little bit, and it's because I do feel that it was Trek-ish in the fact that, you know, we were dealing with essentially, you know, a new sentience, which is something that they've dealt with on Trek that's in true. the past. Um, it's dealing with this whole concept of why is your enemy your enemy, and that sort of thing where – You know, the whole war being futile thing, that's a reoccurring theme in Star Trek is that we always see these wars and we always know that they're futile. We always know that they don't really determine anything. You know, people are always fighting, but nobody really knows why deep down. And that's what we get from this as well, because they talk about him being a soldier and he says a reluctant. So it means he was probably, you know, essentially drafted probably on his planet or Mm -hmm. he did it because, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it was, you know, whatever situation was. He wasn't a gung-ho nationalist for whatever planet he was fighting for. He was doing it because he had to one way or the other, whether it be to make enough money to support his family or whether it be because he was drafted. We don't know. We're not told. We have no idea what the fighting is about. All we know is that it's been going on for at least 10 years prior to this episode but i think that's a very trek theme too the whole like he doesn't really know his enemies at all he just knows mm-hmm. that he's supposed to fight He has who won he's like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know all he wants to do seems... is get back home and that's i feel like that's a very trekkie theme and to to have that mentality of there's always going to be war and even in the far distant future it's still going to be futile
0: right i i feel like it's an overall sci-fi theme, not necessarily a Star Trek. It just happens that it's a theme that Star Trek uses. One good example of this is, uh, enemy mine. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie with Dennis Quaid. I don't think
1: so, but it, it sounds oh, familiar, but I don't know if I've actually seen it.
0: You should definitely see it. I think you'll like it Two opposing enemies. It, it kind of almost reminds me of, uh, where we accept these are two people that are at war with each other, and then they are they crash land and at first they're prisoner, they capture one another, and then it ends up being like, oh well, we need to join forces to survive on this planet, and it it's a it's a good story. I highly recommend it. Off topic, getting back to the AI of the, the computer. <clears throat> In, yes. in this episode, it kind of felt like, if you remember the episode Tomorrow is Yesterday from the original series, the computer had personality. Kirk says something, and then the computer responds, yes, dear. I kind of wonder if the Discovery had a computer refit similar to the Enterprise, and then it just you know, was left alone for a thousand years and that AI just kind of like went rampant and created what we see in calypso
1: yeah that's very possible um because we haven't seen any examples of any other starships you know developing ai in that manner however we also haven't seen any other examples of starships with the advanced computer systems that we see in star trek being left to their own devices for a thousand years you know and at some point but there did have to be a spark there had to be something there that drove it to want to evolve itself whether it be just you know so There had to have been some little bit of intelligence there to begin with that got bored and decided, okay, well, since I've got nothing else to do, I guess I'll start, uh, you know, teaching myself some stuff. And that's kind of where it I think where it steamrolled from there. So, yeah, there would have had to have been some sort of spark, though, something to set it off, to make it think, okay, I need to need to occupy my time somehow. I'm just sitting. It chose evolving itself thing to do. (laughs) I see.
0: I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was out of boredom, uh, I think it might have just been how it would have progressed over over time. It could be like systems failing and trying to compensate for that. And then through that compensating, life arose, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I could understand that as well. Um, definitely. That it, there had to have been something there, just some kind of trigger, basically, whether it be you know, like a failing system and it trying to figure out how to fix that and in doing that It realized that it could learn things and do things more than it, beyond its original programming. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that would be, you know, kind of where where you'd get that from. So
0: I I could understand
1: that definitely.
0: Yeah. And it's not the first time. It's the first time we have intelligence, not necessarily the first time we have intelligence in a computer, but we have the Enterprise D's computer create a new life form that was kind of weird um (laughs) and it made uh, for a fun
1: episode but yeah i always questioned the computer's ability to create an intelligence beyond its own like i always just it, it was kind of a jump it was kind of a leap and especially in the way that oh we just told it to create a character that could beat data and so it automatically created a sentient life form. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, that's, that's a leap. It was a fun episode, though. But yeah, definitely a suspension of disbelief in order to get there. But knowing that that's possible, it also means that the computers already, we know that somewhere deep in their programming, they have the capability to create intelligence, to create sentient intelligence. So, you know, we know that the, the possibility is there. It's mm-hmm. definitely far advanced. But again, a thousand years has passed with it having nothing to do but sit there and evolve itself.
0: Yeah, good episode either way, I think.
1: I really did enjoy it. And like I said, I would love to find out more about what happened to get them to that state you know we yeah. learned that and we've learned from not from the episode itself but from later information coming from the writers of the episode that the enemy that he was fighting was essentially the the what can only be assumed as the remnants of Of the Federation. Obviously, something bad had to happen to the Federation at some point in those thousand years to the point where they've degenerated into some essentially faction in this war. It had to have been drastically different enough that he didn't recognize Discovery as being. Their technology. So it had to have been sufficiently past that point to where the technology he was seeing didn't look the same as the vidreish technology because he never, you know, the only thing he did, he did point out that you, you know, he could tell that it was old, but mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily put the together that this was from the same entity that then became his enemy.
0: Right. It's it's definitely fascinating. I I definitely hope that we do learn more about it in in the future. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It would be very interesting. Uh, I think I think it would make a great comic series or book series to to tell the story of the the fall of the Federation. Oh, you know, yeah. Tell that story to 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 where we get to where. Calypso happens and then, you know, obviously you want to tell the story of it rising back up again from the ashes and all that fun stuff. But I would like to see, you know, what happened? You know, what threat came in? You know, we've seen the Federation on the brink of annihilation a few times and they've always, in the series we've seen, pulled back from the brink right at the last second. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously at some point in the future, they're not able to do that. <laughs> right. So it would be interesting to find out, okay, what what enemy did finally did them in? You know, what what happened to where... It finally happened. But yet we know that even though they were knocked down that far, they're still trying to come back. There's still some sense of the Federation there. It's just in a different form. So, interesting. I would like to know more.
0: Indeed. So, the third short track, The Brightest Star, released December 6, 2018. Yes.
1: This one was a fun episode as well, in that it really gave us a glimpse into the backstory of Saru that would have been really awkward to try to shove into the middle of another, of a regular episode, right. but yet enhances his character so much that it's really worth knowing that it's mm-hmm. very much worth seeing this. But yet if they have tried to squeeze this into a regular episode, it would have felt out of place. So right. again, I think this is a perfect use of this short track format to tell us this story to give us this little background and I'm almost 100% certain that we're going to see some tie in here because I'm pretty sure we see a glimpse of Seru's sister in that season two trailer. Right. So the fact that we are introduced to his family in this short trek and then we see her in that trailer, it's like, okay, at some point he's going, he's going home for something or, you know, something's going on. So it's very interesting. But yeah, we find out some interesting things about his species and about how their whole society lives that we didn't know from the first season Mm -hmm.
0: yeah throughout the season we have saru saying that his species has was bred for one purpose to i think i might be misphrasing this is that a word i don't know but bred for one thing to was it no fear or he he said to sense
1: the coming of death i think is is how he he worded it yeah Um, that
0: and and that's
1: you know they they all know when this this harvest is coming. And, you know, we were kind of led to believe, I think, the, the general assumption among most people was that they just happened to be a sentient species on a planet that had another sentient species that was a hunting species that didn't mind hunting other sentient species, evidently. And they were this prey species on this planet. We come to find out through the brightest star that it's actually a different species that is a, a spacefaring, a warp-capable species. We don't know from where they come as far as, like, is it another planet in the same solar system? Is it from you know another system altogether? You know, We're not told any of that because Ceruse people are not spacefaring. They don't have the technology, so they don't know anything other than that these beings come and they take what they want, and that's just the way it is. So they kind of build their lives around this fact, accept it, with the exception, of course, of Saru, who's like, nah, man, this is bull. (laughs) Right. He said it exactly like that in the episode. I'm quoting directly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds definitely like Saru. So it's interesting we see that they built a religion around this harvest basically i think to justify to themselves that that this is okay and and this brings balance to both us and the people who are harvesting us and it's kind of sad it's
1: it's actually very sad i think because they've they've come to the point where they just blindly accept their fate mm-hmm. like they know they're going to be food Essentially, for another being. And they just accept this. They just, you know, they're taught from birth, basically, that that's what they are. That's their job. They get to live until they don't. And that's it. And they don't question it. And then, of course, as religions tend to do, they try to, you know, the bad stuff tends to try to be glorified into some special sacrifice so that. It's like, no, you're not going through a hard time. You're sacrificing yourself to whatever. And it's kind of the same way with this. They say if you're chosen to, to to go, that you're supposed to be happy that you were chosen. You're supposed to be thankful that you were chosen to be scooped up off your home and eaten. But they... <laughs> That's that's what they believe, or at least most of them. So it's kind of like, oh, gosh, this this is right. really, really, really sad. And then, of course, when we find it, you know, Saru, yeah, evidently these ships that the uh, – was it the Ba'ul, I think, is the the species they said? Um, I'm
0: not really sure what they're I think, called.
1: I think it was Ba'ul, something to it's, that effect.
0: This sounds like a Stargate thing,
1: but <laughs> – <laughs> Well, this is kind of a, you know, hey, taking – underdeveloped beings from another planet to uh, yeah. to do your dirty work it's kind of a Stargate thing too so at least the Stargate folks were only using them as slaves not eating them <laughs> true. but yeah we see this this kind of evidently bits fall off of their ships when they come to the collect the harvest from time to time and enough bits have fallen off that Saru was able to build a communication device just a, a simple beacon something that was able to send out a signal and luckily Federation got it before the Ba'ul did because I could see things going very badly for Saru if the Baul had intercepted that signal first.
0: Right. And I thought that kind of remi- that reminded me of the season one TNG episode, Pen Pals, when Data responds to a is anyone out there signal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, I I love that episode too, because just Data being his naive self, he knows knows he's doing the wrong thing but yet and this is one of those situations where i can point to him and be like see he claims to not have been able to feel anything until he got the emotion ship," but you know that that wasn't quite true you know that on some level there were always some really base emotions kind of there you know when he heard this lonely little girl's voice calling out is anybody out there if he had no feelings whatsoever, he'd have just been like, okay, well, Protocol says I can't answer this until I verify that this planet is a warp-capable planet that we have communication with, blah, blah, blah. You know, he would have had to go through all that. Instead, he hears this scared little girl's voice, and he just says, yes. Yes. <laughs> And then when he yep. comes to the captain and tell him that's, that's, I think our first captain Picard facepalm of the c- series, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> maybe yeah I'll have to go back and check, but I, I'm i pretty sure that's the very first. Cause he's like, Oh, what have you know, what if you like, well, you can't cut her off now because you've done started talking to her. Now we're in a situation where you have confirmed what's going on. You now we have to. So, and, and he tells the data even it's like, and you knew that too. You knew that if you got involved, then we were going to have to help, but you shouldn't have got gotten involved in the first place and you know that too
0: yeah and i'm sure the exact same conversation happened being giorgio and her superiors
1: yeah and she basically says as much too she goes you know how many people in starfleet are throwing fits right now because i talked to you so no we can't take anybody else i'll take you because you're awesome and you built this communication <laughs> device awesome. out of you know scraps that to your planet from some rickety ships evidently but mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, it was kind of like, well, technically she shouldn't have answered that hail at all. But I think most likely, my theory is that Giorgio or the Federation or somebody, I and mean, you know, she she knew about the Ba'ul. so I'm sure she knows that that's what they do. And so that's knowing that too. and not being able to interfere because of the Prime Directive, you can't go and tell these people you got to stop doing that. It's wrong. Well, you can't tell them that if they're not part of the federation, you can't enforce federation rules on on them. Right. And that's part of the prime directive because that's the natural evolution of those two species how and even though it's dumb and horrible and awful, that's why that's why the the uh the prime directive is broken so dang, I think, is because you get into situations like this where it's like, okay, yeah, the prime directive says I shouldn't intervene, but these people are literally eating these other people. We got to do something. This, we yeah. can't just stand by and watch this happen. This can't. This isn't right. We can't do that. And so I think that's where, you know, Georgia was walking that fine line between just like, okay, I know I can't do, any, do anything about the situation in general, but we've got one person who's shown the ability to communicate outside of their species and so obviously they know or at least think that there's something else out there and is willing to risk it to try and communicate so we'll give we'll give them a pass that one that one particular being and i think that's probably how georgio got that permission to go ahead and make contact with
0: yeah i think this episode kind of explains how the kelpians become a delicacy in the Murray universe.
1: Yeah. You have to assume that the Terran empire overthrew the Baul, And when they realize that, Oh, Hey, look at what they're eating. Well, sounds good to us because we're evil Terrans and (laughs) that's what we do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it it definitely makes sense as to, and it also makes sense as to why we never see any other Kelpians in the regular, in in the non-mirror, in our universe. There's no other Kelpians in Starfleet because he's the only one who's ever left his planet. Well, left his planet not going on the harvest, I guess. Since technically they leave their planet all the time, or at least that's what we're led to assume. It could be that they're flying from one side of the planet to the other. And that's maybe that's why the things are falling off their ships, because they're actually in a much lower orbit than maybe they're not coming from another planet. Maybe they're just coming from another part of that same planet. Their village, were they were very small, like hut type buildings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is not a species that's probably spread out over much of the planet. So it's possible that still, as our original theory went, maybe the Ba'ul are another species on that, but just inhabit a different area, and maybe they have ships that fly from one part part over to the other instead of, and just give the illusion that they're coming from space, so that the Kelpians never figure out that you know it's kind of a uh, what's a Bugs Life or Ants Tail or whatever that movie is, where the the grasshoppers like if they ever figure out. That they outnumber us a 100 to 1. We're mm. hosed. Maybe it's like one of those situations. Maybe there's far less Ba'ul than there are Kelpians. And so they have to keep them in a state of fear and ignorance about what they actually are in order to keep them as their source of food.
0: Perhaps. Uh, maybe. But I, I think that they're probably an interstellar species.
1: Most likely, yes. Like I said. It's just it's a possibility. It's a it's a thought. Yeah. Obviously they have to at least be warp capable because Giorgio knew about them as well. And mm-hmm. she knew that the technology that Saru used was bowel technology. But again, it is possible that they also travel to other systems but they only hunt on their own planet. <laughs> yeah. But we don't know. We don't, we, we haven't mm-hmm. learned that yet. Maybe that's something that we'll learn right. in season two, because like I said, we saw that brief glimpse of Saru with his sister in front of a transporter pad. It like so something causes Saru to to go back home and at least get his sister. I don't know if, you know, he finds out she was next to be called for the harvest or somehow he finds oh, out, yeah, maybe. you know, something's going to happen. He's like, I can't, I can't not help, you know? Right. And, as a, as much of a stickler for the rules he is as he is uh, when it comes to family, you know, the rules go out the window. Right,
0: yeah. All right, so why don't we jump into the last short track that was just released yesterday, The Escape Artist.
1: Yes. Oh, man. Directed and starring in and starring in and starring in and starring in <laughs> is Rain Wilson <laughs> as uh, Harry Mudd. Oh, man. This was just a fun episode, and it really did make me excited for season two because mm-hmm. it was just just so much fun, so entertaining. But it still had it hit all those notes. We got to see all of these different aliens, and you know, yeah, there was just a little bit of this, but we saw this. You know, we saw some Orions, and we saw Tellarites, and we saw um, saw some Klingons, and we saw um, what was the? Do you know the species of the the small the short, that short one. bounty hunter that was dragging him around trying to find his shuttle? No, I don't. So. A a new species altogether we've seen, and all of it packed in. I mean, we definitely had more characters in this one than in any of the previous ones, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe in The Brightest Side, you know, there were a lot of random Kelpians wandering around. But primarily, it was just Saru, Saru's father and sister, and then Giorgio, basically. the, The other ones were just kind of background noise. In this one, we actually interacted with quite a few more individuals. You know, it's... It was just a very fun episode. Just it was everything you would expect from a Harry Mud episode. Just fantastic. I really do hope that we see a little bit of Mud in season two. I, I don't need a lot. Mud is good in small doses. You know, you just need a, a right. little bit of him. One episode per season, you know, is plenty. But I would like to have that one episode per season, I think. You know, where at least it doesn't need to be completely about him like in season one, just having him show up maybe for a little bit, for something to do something in an episode would be... but yeah, this episode just absolutely spectacular. And I love the twist at the end and it, the, <laughs> yeah. the way it ties in to how we know mud from the original series. And it actually kind of helps deal with some of people's complaints about mud looking different, which obviously, well, the actor who played Harry mud originally is, either dead or very, very old. They're not going to be able to get the original actor. So they have to get a new actor. But then they're like, oh, he should have had the handlebar mustache. And uh, that would have looked silly with the rest of the set, you know. So, Mm -hmm. of course, they had him modernized. But then one of the mud androids that you see had the, the handlebar mustache going on. And so it was like, oh, okay." So, you know, it kind of tied back to how he's going to eventually end up with that look.
0: Right. Yeah, it was it was definitely a fun episode. Now, I watched this on my phone this morning. Um so I actually missed the handlebar mustache Android, but it it was so unlike the other episodes where it was just fun. Like I think anyone who watches this episode will like it.
1: Yeah, it's it's much like the other Mud episode in that it can be watched by itself yeah. and and has it, you know basically be its own story it definitely ties in with everything else and we're going to see that and it even ties in you know they they make mention of his episode in the first season you know one of the crimes he's yeah. accused of is penetrating a space whale
0: yeah that was so funny <laughs> it's like, the wording of that
1: it's like well you know, well, you kind of had to be there <laughs> so we know that this takes place after the events of that episode so somehow he's gotten away from his betrothed and their family and is now uh, roaming about the galaxy basically selling androids of himself for his own bounty
0: (laughs) yeah very interesting scheme and it definitely echoes the original series where we have him in uh, the episode i mud with a bunch of androids Mm -hmm. so he must have found that android planet you would think
1: yeah, it must have been, you know, he, he definitely had the technology and he was putting it, putting it to good use for himself, which is, you know, what Mud does. So he's, he's, he's the character that you love to hate. You know, it's like he's so bad, but he's so awesome at it Yeah, that it's great. You know, we see these flashbacks of him having these conversations yeah. with, with with different people. And, you know, in the one he's like, oh, I assure you, I don't have a penny to my name. I am completely broke. And it flashes to him at, 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 in it In the Orion's prison, where he's like, I'm so rich. I can make you so rich. Your enemies will be green with envy. Well, greener. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah just just fantastic fun episode it, and it like I said it, I'm glad that this was the last one because it really did get me pumped for season two even more so than the other one because this one's kind of upbeat and it leaves you like at the end you're just like yeah all right you know even though we're essentially rooting for the bad guy who's getting away with something here but at mm-hmm. the same time you know who's he's really taking advantage of these like scummy bounty hunters <laughs> so you don't feel really bad for his victims in this particular case but at the same time you're like you kind of you're kind of rooting for the bad guy because you're like ha oh, ha he got away with it again.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the guy you love to hate. I think you met you said that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great character and Rain Wilson plays him perfectly. And yeah. uh, when I found out he directed this episode as well, I was like, okay, that makes sense because he he's done some really good directing before. So I was. I was happy, very pleased with this episode, just very, very pleased. Um, and one of the best things about it was we really got to see Tellarite, the d- discovery versions of Tellarite in much more detail than we had previously. Mm-hmm. You know, in one of the episodes, we, we saw a Tellarite, I believe, in the mirror universe very briefly, like it's just there. and then, But we don't really see it up close or interact with anything. This time we get to see one up close and how they're looking in the Discovery universe. And I think it's close enough to the original without being as cheesy as the original to to make it look like a different species, even though it's, you know, another humanoid, of course, because we still have to have human actors playing these parts. But. I think they, they jazzed it up enough without going overboard, so I liked
0: Yeah, I did too. Overall, I think this was my favorite episode. I thought that The Brightest Star was going to be my favorite, but this one, it was just... So good. And my expectation, it blew away my expectation. Yeah.
1: um, If I had to pick one episode out of the four to be my favorite, it probably would be this one. However, I really did enjoy all of them. And I think what I loved about them the most is the fact that they're all so different from each other. The fact that mm. each one is a different theme. We get a little bit of like, okay, here's a little piece. Here's just a little side story. That doesn't really have anything to do with anything in the first one. But it's happening in the same universe and the same time. We, we don't know exactly when in the timeline. Maybe they'll give us a hint at some point. Like maybe we'll see something that tells us like, oh, hey, this is this is where this happened. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We might not. It might be something that happened in between, you know. Although I think season two is literally picking up right where season one ended. So I don't think there's much of a between time. Right. Then we went from that to a thousand years in the future and we're just telling a story that that's using these these Star Trek images and Star Trek Star Trek themes to tell this story that's been told hundreds of times literally already but in a way that makes it still interesting which I found very enjoyable you know th- this is a story that has been told many many times it's not a new story by any stretch of the imagination but yet they managed to make it fresh Enough for me to, to uh-huh. really, really enjoy it. Right. And then we went from that to, okay, now we're going to go back into the past uh, before the show and see the backstory of one specific character, which is completely different than, than the previous two episodes. And then we go from that to The Escape Artist, which is just a fun romp on its own completely. So four different stories, four different completely, four completely different types of stories as well. And I think they were all good in their own right. So it's hard to say like, oh, this one was better than this one because I think they need to be graded on different scales. Mm -hmm. But the only one that I would probably watch even more times than the others would be the escape. I mean, I watched it 3 times today. So Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to watch it last night when it actually dropped, so I watched it this morning and then I watched the first 3 again. And then I watched it Escape Artist again after I because I'm like yeah well I watched the first three I might as well I might as well watch this one again and then I watched all four of them again just before we started recording to to refresh one more time that's that's the great thing about these short little episodes is yeah I was able to just and be like hey you know what while I'm waiting for dinner to come we had pizza and I am waiting for pizza to arrive I'm just gonna watch these short tricks again so yeah they they were all good I think they did get better and better as they went along as far as the enjoyment level I think a lot of that though had to do with my inaccurate expectations of the first one. Okay. Uh, once I knew what to expect, I think I was, I was pleased with the results. It was just that very first time when I was expecting a, an episode length. And what I got was what? 16 minutes. I think the first one was, or was it 18? Something like that.
0: Uh, something like that. And
1: I was just like, wait, what?
0: How are they going <laughs> to tell
1: me? Like I, You know, the first half of the episode, I'm sitting there thinking, how are they going to tell me a story in this time? So I think I missed a lot because they did cram it in there, but they did it in a way that didn't feel rushed and didn't, you know, have a bunch of extra stuff that we didn't need. It really was like a stripped down episode, just had the nuts and bolts that you needed. Yeah, that did mean there was a few holes here and there that we had to kind of fill in with our own theories. But you know what? That happens in full length episodes, too. (laughs) You know, We'll, we'll watch episodes, you know, like we just talked about with, uh next generation Moriarty is a great character and fun but at the same time we have to go wait a minute how does the starship computer just create a sentient being if it's not sentient itself you can't just do that mm-hmm. <laughs> so i think it's it's a stretch on some on some levels but an acceptable stretch within the star trek universe no more of a stretch than any other series or or episode has done before
0: right so would you, or do you hope that there'll be another season so to speak, of short treks?
1: I would like to see more. Yeah, if they're going to do something between the seasons. My only caveat is that I don't want them to be putting so much work into the short treks that it's delaying the actual season. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want it to be a situation It's like, oh, well, we've got the season ready to go, but uh, we've got these short treks we got to do first. So we're going to make everybody wait another two months before we drop the season because we've got to play these short treks. No, I don't want that. <laughs> okay. But if it is something where it's like they're making them concurrently, they're making them at the same time as they're making the season so that they have everything, you know, as long as they have their process streamlined so that making the short treks is not delaying the full season then yes, mm-hmm. I absolutely want more.
0: Okay. Now, I would like to see some short tracks that weren't Discovery-specific, make it more like an anthology, almost like the original concept of that Brian Fuller had. I think that would be pretty cool. I don't know if we'll get that, but I think that would be pretty cool.
1: It would be interesting. I don't know how they would, would do that with, you know, like if they were trying to, you know, how would they go about doing telling a, a TNG short trek? Now would they well, have to go back to the younger versions of the characters or to no, the I older mean, versions they have of the a characters? Series coming up. Yeah, and it would be great if they continue the the short trek thing with those series as well. You know, we're gonna get the Picard series. I love short Picard treks between. <laughs> the Picard series treks. of Picard, <laughs> that would be awesome as well. I don't know about yeah. You know, we've got the animated series Below decks coming out too, or Lower decks. Lower decks. Lower yeah. decks. Since those are already going to be shorter episodes, I'm assuming. I don't think we need short treks in between those seasons because those would oh, be right. essentially episode right. length episodes. At which point you're just like, well, why didn't you just include that in the season? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Unless you're right. unless you're literally going to run me a show year long. You know, if you want to put out a show once every two weeks but do it the entire year. All the time, just continuously, until you're done. I'd be okay with that. But mm-hmm. as long as you're doing them in seasons where we only get Trek for a few months, and then we've got a bunch of months where we don't, then, yeah, I'd love to have something.
0: Right. One TNG short Trek that would love to see would be the Titan, and see Riker in command, uh, some short mission. Not maybe it doesn't even have to be a, a real mission, just something with him on the Titan I I would love that. And he's been working on Discovery as a director, so yeah. why not bring him aboard for for that? Yeah, I
1: would I would definitely uh <clears throat> I would watch that. That's for sure. If they put that out, I would love to see that. I love me some Freaks, whether he's behind the camera in front of it or both, I I would be happy to have him come back for something like that. Hopefully we see him at least in some capacity in the Picard series, you know, I hope they tap him to direct some episodes. But it would also be great if he makes a cameo as Riker at some point. That would be awesome. And who knows? Right. They could even put him on the Titan for that. In theory, so yeah. yeah, that would that would be pretty
0: cool. So for season two of Discovery. Yes, I am so uh, proud. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just that. That was it. I'm just. I'm just still so pumped. I'm like, oh, (laughs) I'm like itching. I'm like, what date is it? What date is it? The 17th yet? How is it not the 17th yet? Goosef**erba. Um, (laughs) yeah. No, it's. I've seen the official trailers that have been released. I've seen Mm -hmm. the little short clips that CBS has put out on all access about what to expect in season two. They're talking about it being more cinematic. They're talking about it focusing on the character relationships. I've seen little hints here and there. Like I haven't seen him in any of the previews, but some of his social media, some of uh, Wilson Cruz's social media posts have led me to believe that he's. At least in there in some capacity, whether he's a flashback in Stamets mind or something. Right. Um, and he's
0: in an ING poster that was released.
1: Oh, OK, so, yeah, um, so I'm I'm yeah. I, I hope that it's not a hey, we're bringing this dead character back to life through some magic thing, because that I think has been overdone in not just Star Trek, but in like everything ever. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciate a show that is willing when they kill a character to leave them dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Culber was an awesome character and I'd love to see more of him. Even if it's in the form of dream sequences or flashback sequences or whatever it may be, I'm still happy that he's that he's going to be a part of this.
0: Right. Uh, one thing I would imagine to get him in the the season Would have Stamets still have some kind of connection with the Mycenaeal network, almost like a Nexus type of thing, where he still, a part of him is still there and and, he's able to pull from it.
1: And there was a short, you know, just a a flash, a couple of frames at most in the trailer that seemed like they were using the Spore Chamber again. For something, yeah. you know, whether it be because they needed to activate the spore drive, or whether it was because they just used the spores somehow to maybe contact Culper or something like, like maybe that's how they were doing it. But there was a scene, you know, like just a flash where it looked like they had that chamber full of spore mm. So it's like, okay, well, what? Are they, hey, what are they doing with the spores? I know they're not supposed to be using the spore drive, and we know that the spore drive doesn't become you know, regular technology that they use on a regular basis in the series. So maybe this is what happened. I mean, maybe they need to use it one last time for something and it breaks right. the connection. They're never able to remake it. And that's why we need the spore driving, it. uh, whatever. But maybe that's how they, they bring him into the show is through that contact. Like you said, maybe Stamon still has that connection or is able to make that connection if he's in contact with spores.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that'd be, that'd be cool. A way to get around it. And, um, I can't wait.
1: The one person that I would love for them to bring back if they could would be uh, would be Lorca. I would love Uh, to find out that Prime Lorca somehow survived and was, you know, I don't know, in a coma somewhere and they find him or something. Because, first of all, Jason Isaacs is awesome. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I would love to I would love to meet the Prime Lorca. So far, we've only seen him in the books. And in the books, he's awesome. So mm. I would love to see Prime Lorca on the show somehow. Unfortunately, I don't think that is going to happen. It doesn't seem, I haven't seen anything pointing towards any likelihood of of getting some Lorca action on scene. But it is something that I would like. And it's something that it wouldn't be bringing somebody back from the dead because we literally have two versions of them and the bad one died, we don't know exactly for sure what happened, the quote-unquote good one. Right, right. So, it, you know, they have that avenue open to them. They could figure out a way, you know, nobody's seen his body. He was supposedly destroyed in a giant ion explosion or something, so if somehow he survived that and was like floating around in an escape pod or something, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So they have the capability easily to, to bring him back if they wanted to, but I know this season is not going to be about Lorca. This season is all all about pike and spock from what i'm seeing on the trailers and such going to be interesting i'm I'm psyched to see their version of spock i'm very interested to see if it really explains if we get a good solid explanation as to why burnham is never mentioned by spock ever like if, if they figure out a way to obviously they wrote themselves into a corner by creating this character that didn't exist when they made the other character you know in the past, which was their future. So now they're like, okay, now we have to figure out a good way to explain why he never mentions. It would right. be interesting if this if this season well, would find out and they have a good explanation.
0: That's true, but it wouldn't be the first time Spock didn't mention a sibling.
1: That, well, that's true as well. But that was due to massive embarrassment. Like, oh, we don't mention him because... Uh,
0: <laughs> well, he, he never says that.
1: It's kind of well. I, that that's kind of what I got from it was that, of right. course, of all of the TOS movies, that is the one I've watched the least number of times. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't blame you.
1: Yeah, uh, it, uh, it's it's a rough one. It's one of those ones that you know when I'm doing a full watch through is the only time I'll actually watch it. When I'm just like randomly picking a, a Trek movie to watch it usually ends up being either the voyage home or generations. Like almost always. It's one of those two that I go to
0: as my generations. Really?
1: Yeah. I, I dig that. That movie gets a lot of guff and yeah, it's got its problems, but, I thought it was a really good way to tie together, kind of pass the torch from the, okay, we're doing the movies still, but we're passing the torch. We're not doing the TOS movies anymore. We're doing TNG movies. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. Yeah, it had its plot holes, of course, but it was it was one of my favorite of the TNG era movies.
0: Yeah, no, I, re- I respect that. It's, it's. Uh, I, I enjoyed it as well. But, so, what uh, are you
1: most yeah. excited for to see in season two? Oh, Pike! Yeah, I, I love the character they've chose, or the the actor they've chosen for this character. Um, he seems really awesome. My only concern is that there's a couple of times when he seems a little too kirkish if that makes mm. any sense at all like in the trailer when he when he when uh, Tyler who inexplicably is there in a starfleet uniform hope we figure mm-hmm. out how that happened <laughs> says we're fighting for the future it gives him that kind of cocky look like we're always fighting for yeah that's that was a total kirkism right there um, well
0: maybe kirk took that from Pike.
1: It's possible. Yeah, you know he did. And he was the the commander before, but did Kirk actually
0: serve under Pike? No. Yeah. I don't believe so.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't think he had ever actually served under Pike. It's just that he took over that ship after pike nutty or something i don't i don't remember what the um, no, official well, explanation was, between
0: pike is promoted oh, was? Uh, okay. and the to a fleet captain and then there is a uh an accident that leaves pike wheelchair bound yeah. and unable to speak
1: yeah i remember that when they did the did the episode where they reused the footage from the cage that never aired to make that that two-parter like, that's audacious right there. Like, we're going to take uh, footage from this pilot that never aired, and we're not only going to reuse it in the regular series. We're going to make two-part route. <laughs> the The writers were really, like, hold my beer on that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that episode, though.
1: It's one of the better TOS episodes. It really is. Yeah. Um, it was just really – it was really well done. Like I said, it was, it was – it was audacious of them to do it, but they did it well. They really pulled it off. And especially for people who hadn't actually seen The Cage, because for a lot of people, it wasn't something that was accessible. Until the streaming, you know, until it came out on streaming services, it wasn't something that was readily available. I don't even think it was included in, like, box sets of TOS. It might have been in the later ones, in, like, the DVD and Blu-ray sets. I don't know. Yeah, but I believe in, in the VHS the, sets. Well,
0: I don't know about VHS, but in the I have a DVD set. That has the cage. Right.
1: And I know that it's, I believe it's on Netflix, but not on the CBS All Access or vice versa. It It's on one and not on the other for some reason.
0: Interesting. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it on Netflix.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the way it is. I think it's on Netflix, but not on CBS All Access for who knows why. Right. I, maybe Netflix bought the rights to that exclusively and somehow and... I don't know. These contracts between the streaming services and the production companies and the the content owners, I mean, all of it is so convoluted sometimes. It is absolutely nuts to think about. I mean, you have stuff like with Netflix, for example, with the Marvel shows. You know, they're canceling all the, the Marvel shows on Netflix, even though they're some of their best producing shows. But it's because Disney is going to be trying to do their own streaming service. So they're taking a lot of the Marvel content away from other streaming services and consolidating it. But Disney has no intention of continuing the Netflix style of shows on their streaming service, because the Disney streaming service is going to be family friendly. It's not going to have the, the R-rated stuff and the you know TVMA stuff that we've been getting from netflix so it's like why are you taking it away from netflix if you're not going to make it yourself well they're not taking it away from netflix netflix is choosing not to make it because if they do essentially what they're doing is advertising for disney streaming service every time they use any of those characters because the only way you can get any of those characters in any other service is over here so they're making a choice To stop making that product so that they're not advertising a competing service every time somebody watches it. Mm. Which stinks for those of us who love those shows, like myself, because uh, some of them, especially like Iron Fist, season one was terrible. It really was. (laughs) Okay. But season two was fantastic. I mean, it came back amazing. And at the end, it leaves you with this cliffhanger that just had begging for a season three. And then I find out they're canceling it. I'm like, what the? Come on. And... Season 3 of Daredevil, I think they knew that there probably wasn't going to be a season 4, so they wrapped up. Almost all of the story, they only left one dangling bit, but Mm. that one dangling bit was one of the most awesome Marvel characters ever created. I'm really disappointed that we're not going to see more of that on Netflix now. So Mm. there's like these things. And so all we're getting is uh, one more more season of Jessica Jones and one more season of The Punisher. That's all we're guaranteed from Netflix. And then they're probably done with the Marvel shows. There is a possibility. Disney also has contracts with Hulu for content. So it's possible that... Netflix could sell the rights to those characters over to Hulu and Hulu might produce those shows since they have other uh, Marvel and Disney content on Hulu as well. So we might see them resurrected over on Hulu. We might not. All we know is that they're not going to be on Netflix and they're not going to be on Disney streaming service. So sad face. <laughs> face. Segue. Um, yeah. Season twos that I'm not excited for because I'm never going to get them. Uh, thankfully, discovery, not one of those. We are getting season two and it is coming soon. And just, Giddy with anticipation. Little school. I want it. Gimme, 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 gimme. What I'm saying.
0: All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm probably not as excited as you are, (laughs) but I am excited for Discovery Season Two. I think it's going to be a lot better than Season One, and Season One was pretty darn good. I think the people who are holding out for Discovery to fail. I think they should watch season two, and I think they'll be surprised at what they see.
1: Yeah, they're supposed to be, uh, according to all the reports I've seen and all the, the bits and clips I've seen, they claim to have addressed a lot of people's issues with the storyline and, and things like that. I hope it's not at the detriment of the storytelling because I really felt they did a good job in season one with the storytelling and the little things that people complained about most are things that I don't think are really that important. However, if they are able to address those and still give us a good story, I mean, the actors are definitely in a flow now. They're, they're, practically family with each other now. So the chemistry is going to be amazing. I'm sure everybody is, you know, kind of clicking on the same cylinders and and everybody's just, you can tell from their various social media posts and such that everybody seems to be really excited to be working on this project. I don't see any of them complaining about work. And, you know, even the people who have to spend, you know, half their day in a chair getting makeup put on they're not complaining about it. They're not you know, moaning about, ah, I'm stuck in this makeup chair. They're like sending selfie with the, you know, with them getting the makeup put on things like this. And you know, it seems like everybody is pretty excited to be a part of the project. And that usually bodes well for the quality of the project because people are more excited to be, you know, if they're just in it for the paycheck, then they don't care really whether it succeeds or failed any level other than, you know, will I get another season to to get paid? But people who are doing it because they believe in the work and believe that it's a good product there may tell the difference and i think that the the cast and crew of discovery is convinced that they're making a good product and i think that they did a really good job season 1 i think the short treks have been really good so i think season 2 is going to be even better and i am hoping that uh, that i'm not disappointed by that i know i'm going in with high expectations but i also am as much as as excited as i am i am tempering my expectation a bit <clears throat> because i do know that they're they're walking that fine line every season that goes by they're getting closer and closer to when TOS happened so they're going to have to you walk that line even more you know Mm -hmm. at some point we're going to have to find out what else is going on in the universe and you know how they're going to fit this storyline or are they going to jump somewhere else are they going to stop discovery and just focus Picard or make another show you know what are they going to do when it gets to the point where they're up to the same timeline as the other shows you know then it becomes even more difficult to stay on canon and not mess up and step on other storylines.
0: Yeah, but I mean, these seasons don't have to be years of time. Since they're only 15 episodes or less and have one overall arc, uh, It one season doesn't have to be a year or it could just be a couple of months. You know? That is true. Um,
1: that is true. That's uh, you know they did that with uh, was it Mash? Yeah, Mash occurs entirely within the confines of the Korean War, which only lasted like three something years, three and a half, four years. But it went how many seasons? <laughs> like ten seasons or something like that. Yeah. So they. Television definitely knows how to squeeze time in if they need to. And since they don't have a lot of children they're working with on the show, you don't have to worry about that aspect. When you have child right. characters on your show, then you have to worry about, okay, well, as we film, they're obviously going to age. And then we have to either explain that somehow or we have to figure out something else if we're going to try to squeeze more than, less than a year into a season that takes a year to show.
0: Right. But yeah, so high hopes. Short treks were good. We want more. And uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Overall, um, I really like the direction they're going as far as I can tell right now. You know, and the quality is still there with the short treks. There was no reduction in quality that I could tell from mm-hmm. season one episodes to the short track. I right. think, you know, they're saying that we're, it's going to be even more cinematic in season two. So I'm expecting even bigger and better special effects and more things blowing up and pew pew lasers everywhere. And, you know, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm expecting visually for it to be absolutely stunning. I just hope they, they've got right. another really good story in them like they did with season one.
0: I, I think they do. So Mr. Dewey, if we were to look for you on the internet, how would we go about that?
1: Uh, well, I am on the Instagrams at Eric J. Dewey. Tweet at that same handle, and uh, you can follow me. My probably my most active social media account currently is actually my Untapped, which is also at Eric J. Dewey, <laughs> and see what beers. I'm... Um, but yeah, and don't forget to check out the other shows on the Forehead Radio Network at com, and you can follow us on Twitter at the
0: Sasquatch. Awesome, uh, and you can find me on Twitter and most social networking places and gaming channels at Nova Charter. Uh, And Mr. Dewey, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I love talking Trek, and
1: it's been way too long since I've been able to.
0: No doubt. All right, so until next time, live long and prosper. You've been listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com/sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.